Bruce Whitfield's Genius Podcast in partnership with Lexus. Subscribe now to catch new episodes dropping weekly to your favorite podcast app. You probably think you know this story. The one about the two best friends who used to go for lunch together on a regular basis and one day they stumble across a grubby little takeaway and they have the biggest aha moment of their lives. And it was like a you know, filthy little cafe. It used to have not only chicken, but also had calamari, like Portuguese specialities, prego rolls. And, you know, we, we said, why don't we take this chicken to the world? That's Robbie Brosen, one half of the duo who bought a tatty little food outlet in 1987 and turned it into the global giant that is Nando's. They're approaching 1,500 outlets in more than 30 countries. It might never have happened. It could have stayed small, it could have stayed local, and it could have remained a best-kept secret. But it was the raw ambition of its founders from that first moment to take this chicken to the world that set it up for extraordinary success. But ambition and great vision are not nearly enough. The slopes of Mount Everest are littered with the bodies of ambitious people with goals and vision hell-bent on conquering the world's tallest mountain. It doesn't mean they're going to succeed. This is an incredible story of partnerships, trust, conviction, smart choices, and the ability to not only spot opportunity, but to seize it and run with it like your life depended on it. This is the story of Nando's. It's the story about food. Obviously, it's about food. Peri-peri spiced chicken, to be precise, with a mix of lemon and garlic that tantalizes taste buds in a growing number of places daily. But it's also not just about the food, because there are a plethora of food concepts everywhere. This is the story of two friends who dared to create something different in a sector dominated by American concepts, typically the mass-production, neon-lit, melamine-counted concepts that characterize a cluttered global market. Because Nando's could be from here, it could be from there, it could be from anywhere. This is homely, there's a, a warmth to it, it's welcoming, it feels, somehow it feels familiar. It could be in Northcote Road in London, or in Brisbane, or Kuala Lumpur, or Washington, D.C. This branch in Cape Town is very clearly what it says above the door. It's also unique. It has its roots in Mozambique, but its origins are in South Africa. It's the spirit of our people. The spirit of South Africa flows in Washington, in Canada, in Malaysia. You know, that spirit of entrepreneurship, of resilience, of can do. It's not about the flag sometimes, it's about the spirit of the individual. That's why so many South Africans in the diaspora have done so well, is that you're setting the ethos and the culture. And that's why I'm so blessed that when we started a business with purpose, instinctively, it wasn't done to think, well, we're going to one day have a business that's going to lead purpose. Because today, it's sexy to have a business with purpose. And everyone's talking about purpose. A lot of people don't understand how to drive purpose in your business. They think that social investment is part of it or writing a check. That's not the way to do it. The way we do it on all our purpose project is that it gets deeply embedded into the DNA. So what we want as shareholders is that if somebody one day takes this company over, it's going to be at their detriment financially to break some of those projects that are the changing lives projects because they're so deeply embedded into the success, the financial success of the business. But remember, when you're starting a business, financial success is so important. You've got to survive. You've got to pay wages and, and rent. But w when you get to a particular point and you can use 
changing lives, to fuel the business. Anyone coming in to take over the business at their detriment is going to cut the art program, is at their detriment the design program, our, our uniforms made in South Africa, our music program that's still to come. It's going to be at their detriment. And that's the model of genius that we've developed collectively. It's not an individual. Nando's is not about individual. I sometimes, you know, the one that speaks because people want to talk to the founders, but it's, it's not one individual. You know, Robbie Enthoven has been as important as Fernando to this business. Dick, my dad, it's been a, a collaboration of so many good people. We come from humble beginnings. That's why we stayed where we've stayed in Lorenzo, so we can look outside our window and look at where we've come from every single day. Every employee must take a little bit of a hardship coming here. To know where we're going, never leave behind your roots. You know, we're a brand that's about the streets, and that's who we feel. That's the importance of staying true to your values, your purpose, and your roots. Robbie and his best friend, Fernando Duarte, worked for Teltron, the Brosen family business. Robbie's dad, Max, had the license to sell and market Sanyo products in South Africa. That was until they stumbled on what Robbie told us was that filthy little cafe. They bought it. Nando was going to run it. Robbie was going to be the silent partner. Except it was too much fun. They needed a name. Robbie, who is recognized in multiple global awards programs over nearly four decades as one of the planet's greatest marketers, understood it needed to be personal. The name Fernando's was already taken by what is now a long-forgotten B&B. That B&B refused to give up its name for love or money or Nando's. So they named it after Fernando's 18-month-old son, Nando. Yes, there really is a Nando. And as with so many family enterprises, his first job was at Nando's. And he worked there for about 20 years, starting, as all family businesses must do, at the bottom. It's going to be an incredible story, but it won't be me. That's dad's story. That's the legacy that uh, your great-grandfather left behind. And that's the way that I always see it. You know, people ask the question, hey, so you, you're the founder of men? No. Uh, flack. Come on. I was an early achiever. I was 18 months old. I started out grilling chickens. Yeah, I wish. Uh, I started working in the stores when I was around 16 years old, when I wanted to earn a bit of pocket money. I did some off-site events. I didn't. When I got a little bit older and into varsity, I was doing cashier. I'd worked on the grills, all of that type of stuff. And that was earning pocket money so I could go out on the weekends. But then I started officially with Nando's in 2007. And there again, I started as basically an apprentice to the senior project managers and eventually worked my way to the role of design director for the international franchising, or as they call it, their licensed markets. That's Nando. That's the guy whose name is above the door. And he's considerably nonplussed about it. He was part of the design team that delivered stores with his name above the door across the Middle East in India, Pakistan and Malaysia. But this story would not be the story it is today without the foresight and wisdom of its first outside funder. I'll introduce you in a bit to the first funder ever to put money into Nando's and whose involvement saw it go from three little stores in Johannesburg to reaching that ambition of taking the chicken to the world. Few people would have treated a two-year-old three-store concept at the southern tip of Africa run by two young, slightly wild young men that they'd only just met seriously, but he did, and that changed everything. 
You can go into any one of the nearly 1,500 Nando's outlets anywhere in the world and be transported to another place. As I said earlier, it's not exactly clear where other than you're definitely at Nando's. The vision was always that there was no peri-peri, flame-grilled peri-peri chicken in the world. There was KFC and there was deep fried. So there was a lot of deep fried chicken in the world. Southern fried chicken and various other fried chicken. But fried chicken, and even, it's on trend even today, but even then, you know, in terms of grilled versus fried and chilies, you know, being, chili is such a trend, was such a, I felt that it was going to be a trend then. And so, you know, at that point it was an instinct that brought it together. And then we built it with such yin and yang. Had either of you cooked a meal for anybody else in your lives up until that point? It strikes me that you went in making the worst business decision ever. People who retire early to start a coffee shop because they like going to coffee. You bought a chicken shop because you like the chicken. Yeah, I mean, I thought originally I would go in as just a pure investment and that Fernando would be be something for Fernando, but I had no idea in venture capital. 87, there was no idea. I wasn't sure what my role was going to be. As the business, you know, I thought I'd go in on a Monday morning um, and just collect and collect a, a brown paper bag full of cash. And, and what you realize very early on is that you go in on a Monday and actually weigh in cash. It's not a question of pulling out cash. The essence of Nando's is exotic. That spicy smell and the sauces, the marinades, the common thread running through is chilies, but not just any chilies, the African bird's eye chilies, which are grown in Mozambique, where the original recipe using the fiery hot peppers combined with garlic and lemon was formulated, as well as smallholders in Malawi and Zimbabwe. Now, Nando's could get large-scale farmers to produce the chilies they need by the truckload. It would be a lot more efficient. Instead, it contracts hundreds of small-scale farmers to do so. It's not the most commercial of decisions, but it does have the advantage, and that is that with patient capital and being privately owned, they can do business and do good. Fernando Duarte, who went for that fateful lunch with his best mate Robbie Brosen nearly four decades ago, says their determination is to support small suppliers and it's built into everything they do. The chilies is an integral part of, of our IP. If one looks at our source, the chili is the main ingredient and it's what really just distinguishes us from the rest. It's the best component of our, of our source. We, we need to protect that. So there's two reasons why we grow our own chilies. One is because we want to keep the IP consistent. And the other one is, as you know, Nando's is very purpose-driven. So it's really to create an impact in communities. And we're currently in Malawi, Zimbabwe, and Mozambique. And, you know, the guys have done a phenomenal job in terms of creating employment, educating people, being able to provide jobs for people to to send their kids to school, to have a better life. So, so purpose is, is an extremely important part of our, of our journey. And we're privileged that we're in a position to do these type of things. And obviously, we want to extend it into more and more communities and, and be able to make a difference, especially in Africa, because being an Afro-Portuguese brand, you know, we pride ourselves in the work that we do in this continent. And that's the essence of why we grow our own chilies while we protect the recipe the way we do because it's the most important component, you know, from the food perspective of Nando's. 
Of course, Nando's is about the chicken and the chilies that flavour it. If the food was awful, no one would go there. Equally, it would struggle if it weren't for its identity, its brand ethos and the values that the business espouses. Globally, it's figured out how to make itself part of local culture. Its biggest market is in Britain and Ireland, where it owns about 500 outlets. Without spoiling the best bit of the tale, which is yet to come, Brosen hired a young guy he met quite by accident in the early days of the Nando's UK adventure. Robbie Brosen saw something in a young Robbie Entoven, Robbie with a Y as opposed to Brosen's IE. He saw something in him that would change the destiny, the design and the fate of Nando's forever. Robbie Entoven was the son of the company's first outside funder, and they developed casual dining in the United Kingdom. The first time that anybody had had fast casual dining in that part of the world, up until the early 1990s, when Nando's arrived in Britain, the idea of merging a fast food idea with a comfortable dining experience was brand new. South Africa, with 300 outlets now, is the next biggest market, with 200 in Australia and New Zealand. And that very nearly failed in the early days, and it was only at Brosen's adamant insistence that they persisted, and it's paid off. 80 in Malaysia and Singapore, 15 in the enormous Indian market, and a fast-growing 50 in the United States, with the first venture into the southern states in 2023 in Houston, Texas. That is on the cards. Nando's has always flexed its marketing budgets, ensuring that it gets far greater value for every dollar of marketing than it actually spends. It helps enormously, of course, if you have celebrity fans who will promote you for nothing. Do you like chicken? Good, because it's all chicken. <laughs> That's comedian Jack Whitehall, live at the Apollo. Ask most people in the UK and they'd hazard a guess that Nando's is a British creation. If not British, then... Spanish, Mexican, Portuguese, some even say from the Caribbean. A little bit of mystery, it turns out, goes a long way. She turns to me, looks lovingly into my eyes and says, Jack, what's piri-piri? It's a very good question, but it is also a question that nobody actually knows the answer to. <laughs> so you can make up whatever the hell you like and she is still going to be impressed. Piri-piri, my dear, is a blend of aromatic spices bonded together by the tears of Portuguese widows that have lost their husbands at sea. Il hombre estil morte and she's mine. <laughs> The founders, that's Robbie and Fernando, shared a bond of friendship, and a bond of friendship that was to really traverse time, and also a bond that shared a passion for food. It was a team that worked. I'm probably the dreamer and probably the visionary, and Fernando made sure, you know, certainly in the early days, that the trains ran on time. You know, so Fernando's been, he's, he oversees the factory, for example, and all the quality control and the sources, and he's very particular, and he's a quiet guy, he's an incredible, incredible guy. I mean, he's a... What was it about you that made you, as you were friends, you worked together as colleagues, that you could create something brand new and take something global? Because that was the original stated intention. Yeah. Let's take this chicken to the world. Yeah, I mean, that was our original intention. I mean, I think our relationship is based a lot on, on trust, you know, as is most relationships. And I think that we've, we've had a relationship over the last 40 years now, probably because we've been 35 years in Anna's and another five years that we've probably worked at before. 40 years is a long time in any relationship. Most marriages don't last that long. Few business relationships can claim any kind of longevity, especially when you consider the environment in which that bond was formed. This is how Fernando remembers some of those early days. With anything, there's got to be a chemistry. 
And I think the first time that Robbie and I ever met, there was some sort of chemistry. In the Jewish faith, you got the chief rabbi. For me, Robbie is the chief mensch <laughs> of, you know, he really is. He's the chief mensch. And, you know, his humbleness, if I look at the background and I look at how diverse we were and how humble he is and, and the good nature, his heart is only about goodness. You know, it's, it's, it's so difficult to explain, but it's something that when we look at each other, you know, in the eyes, Okay, there's certainly a sparkle that um, that happens, and you know it's it's built on on trust and, and and respect. 1987 was a terrible year to start a new business in South Africa. The domestic economy was in tatters. The country went from state of emergency to state of political emergency. Sanctions were in place, and the edifice of apartheid was crumbling. And a man called P. W. Boerter was in charge. In the course of the year. Various planned reform steps with regard to black communities were envisaged. P.W. Puerta would have hated Nando's. It's the antithesis of everything he believed. You just need incredible resilience. When I think about the challenges and I think about the difficulties, and when we started out, even just travel was difficult. We, were, we started in 87, so you know, most of my, my friends had emigrated, and, and I was the, you know, one of the very few people in my class that stayed in South Africa. So you know, people were saying, how can you start a business in South Africa at that particular time? And you know, you know, where, you know, how can, why don't you rather go start it in America, go start it somewhere else? And you know, just having that kind of belief that South Africa is going to be so good, and it's always going to be good, it's almost, and, and it's almost a naivety. It's drinking your, your own Kool-Aid. You know, so that was the first challenge. Just the perception of people. Then the perception of me being behind a counter. You know, a nice Jewish boy from King David selling Portuguese food, you know, in Savoy. My headmaster came past and had a look and said, we always thought you were never going to achieve anything. Now we like know that you're going to achieve nothing. See, Is that true? Absolutely true. Did he and, live long <laughs> enough to see the just global expansion? He just passed away. He was very proud of me at that <laughs> You know, he doesn't remember saying that to me. I certainly remember no, it. No, that would cut deep. But there was like a focused purpose. And it's again, in that purpose of, of wanting to do good and wanting to change lives and wanting to do things in a way that, that has an impact. And the difficulty of building a business globally, there's a naivety to it. And there has to be a sense of naivety and there has to be a sense of stupidity. And it's, it's not genius. And, and that's right. Even if you take the positioning of the brand, the original positioning of cheeky reverence. We had no money. We couldn't afford an ad campaign. We but you John boxed Hunt. above your weight all the we way through. We meet John Hunt. Mm. You know, John Hunt. Hunt Lascaris. Hunt Lascaris. Yeah. We meet now. John is today global creative director or chairman of, of, of TBWA Worldwide Creativity. He was a kokololi when we met him. He was John Hunt from Hunt Lascaris. They were looking for, they had two, three clients. We were, we were, we were less than kokololis. He comes along and, and there's a chemistry between where our braveness and them as an agency's braveness and, and we can't afford it. John always teases me that, that we never paid their bills for the first for the first couple of years, you know, because but, but I keep and I keep telling but you, you won awards that got your other clients that paid that paid the award. And it was that magic and it was a bit of chutzpah, it was a bit of cheekiness, but we but we had no money. Had to compete with KFC with Bimbos, if you remember that brand yes. and Steers which were all emerging. They were all like thirty five units or forty units we were Three, and out of this was their cheekiness, and then we started finding that if you push, you know, if you're cheeky, you can get extra, get extra kind of PR, and you can. We worked on a very strong PR campaign. You sail very close to the wind a lot of the time, but you've got to be intelligent 
you've got to be intelligent irreverence. It can't be, and that's where the genius of John and, and, and the creative team and, and the genius of our marketing team, from Josie McKenzie, that was our first marketing director, to Doug today, who I'm so proud of. I mean, Doug has won so many awards of top marketer, but there's an intelligence to what we do. It's not just put out there. You're not just cheeky for cheeky sake. There's got to be a depth. We're a brand about depth. A cock and lolly, just in case you're wondering, is a pipsqueak, a tiny child, an insignificant person. You'll hear both Fernando and Robbie talking about chemistry, not just with each other as founders, but with the people they brought in to help them build the business. The chemistry would play a critical role in not only how the brand was built, but also how it was funded. That story I promised about their first outside funder, Dick Entoven, and his wonderfully deep pockets is coming up. Very early on, Nando's learned that critical lesson that it needed to stretch every penny in its marketing budget. The best way it was going to do that was to ensure talkability. They developed a cheekiness coupled with a deep intelligence about what resonated with their customers. They sometimes, of course, got into trouble. Sometimes it blew over quickly. Like the ad about the elderly couple inviting their gay neighbours to a meal at Nando's with the old guy misinterpreting the concept of tail gunner. Oh, Nathan, my children tell me you're a tail gunner. I was a military man myself. And then, of course, there was the one about the guide dog. That's our famous old style chips and a 500 mil coke. Just 1725. So good. You'll do anything to get one. The guide dog leading a blind person into a pole and stealing their Nando's sparked some fury, but the ad lives on in the minds of customers and online as testament to its ability to push boundaries. But its real breakthroughs came in its biting social commentary. As South Africans became increasingly frustrated by the abuse of the system by politicians, Nando's started to reflect that. And once they started, they couldn't pull back. There was one advert, though, that did get them into serious trouble. There was the one time they did pull back. You need me to paint the picture for you. Play the music, please. Robert Mugabe is the last dictator standing. His comrades of old are all gone, but he reminisces about what he regards as the good old days. There are visuals of a water pistol fight with Muammar Gaddafi, sand angels in the desert with Saddam Hussein and a little play on the swings with P.W. Puerta. It's masterful and, of course, it got up the nose of Robert Mugabe's party in Zimbabwe, ZANU-PF, and for a moment, things got really, really hairy. Since then, Nando's has been able to capitalise, of course, on social media and the power of going viral. South African politicians have developed a reputation for having a distinctly inflated... How do I put this politely? A distinctly inflated sense of self-importance. Freud, oh, Freud would have had a field day if he was to compare the size... Compare the size of blue light convoys, the escorts, the VIP escorts that barge their way through civilian traffic in an ostentatious exhibition of fake power. One of the ads shows a blue light convoy converging on an intersection with several other blue light convoys all also about to hit the same intersection at exactly the same time. They're filled with apparent VIPs and they get to the intersection all at the same time and that causes chaos. What's 
There's a predictable fight of my government minister is more important than your government minister. That ensues, and it all ends up getting a little bit undignified. And suddenly, it seems like there's a gunshot. They all hit the deck. It's simply a minibus taxi backfiring as it mounts a pavement to get around the obstacle caused by the madness of ego-driven politicians. That campaign featured no product at all. Nando's had become part of popular culture. It spoke truth to power, reminding politicians, if they cared to listen, that it was they who served the public rather than the other way around. They even went as far as pillorying a sitting president in Jacob Zuma. He'd used public money to build a lavish estate in the rural heartland of KwaZulu-Natal. And while the final bill came to about 250 million rand, he was only ever held liable for a fraction of that by the then public protector Tuli Madonsela, who also made it into a Nando's ad. <laughs> Mr. President, truth or dare? Um, truth. Yeah. Are you really, really going to pay back the money? <clears throat> dare. <laughs> I meant dare. Really? <laughs> New Wings Roulette. 18 winglets in a range of flavors plus a bottle of beriberi sauce. Anywhere you spin it, it's a wing-wing situation. <clears throat> oh, I think you've taken enough. The visual ends with Jacob Zuma taking a slap on the wrist from Tubi Madonsela. The strategy of speaking truth to power worked wonders in South Africa. It also created a stir in the United States when Nando's opened a store in Washington, D.C. around the time of Donald Trump's inauguration as U.S. president. It decided to loudly advocate precisely what it stood for, again knowing that in a fraught political climate it would get more people talking about it if it gave them something to talk about. The store carried messages in its windows. Nando's Peri Peri is an immigrant-employing, gay-loving, Muslim-respecting, racism-opposing, equal-paying, multicultural chicken restaurant where hashtag everyone is welcome. This is Wake Up Washington on WUSA 9. Everyone is welcome. That's how one D.C. restaurant is trying to market itself. It told D.C. who Nando's was. Not really what it served, and it didn't really care that if somebody who didn't ascribe to those values came in or not. The reality is, Nando's came from a country that was grappling with these issues of race and gender and identity long before the rest of the world woke up to the fact that these issues were real for their customers. Nando's, over time, had developed a taste of playing with fire. There was a moment just after the killing in Paris of staff of the satirical magazine Charlie Hebbo that Nando's ran a slightly edgy campaign in the United Arab Emirates. You can picture a young man at a table holding a piece of chicken just inches from his mouth. The Dubai skyline is in the background and he's patiently waiting for the sun to set. Now, the creative director was worried it might spark a negative response, but here's what's interesting. It didn't, because Nando's wasn't taking the mickey out of Islam. It wasn't taking the mickey out of the fast. Instead, it spoke to the pain of fasting during the holy month of Ramadan. And it turns out it was highly relatable. And it really, really worked. Nando's has been able to transcend barriers. It's been able to challenge the status quo. It's been able to call out those who don't play by the rules. It's devotion to inclusivity and the fact that in the environment where eating out is increasingly expensive, it's a more accessible option. That helps too. 
So does celebrity endorsement. Singer Ed Sheeran confirmed on the Table Manners podcast during one of the first lockdowns that he had a Nando's food truck at his wedding. He'd long been a fan of the chicken, and if you go back to 2010, he and his mate Example, fellow musician, were making songs all about Nando's. I said, oi, you, are you gonna bang? Oh, no, I want to pick up Nando's Wanna eat it up with chicken and chips Every no knows I freestyle like this When I freestyle on the beat about chicken You know it's finger licking And I'm gonna pass it over to example Now he's gonna freestyle and he's gonna show you how he do Chicken, chicken wings They're my favourite things And I love to sing I say chicken, chicken wings If you give me them I will eat them things Yo, and we eat chicken for free Cause he's got a black card, you see Did Ed say black card? Now, lots of companies do this. They've got programs they don't advertise, but they give special access to people with high profiles who promote them. No one in Nando's will confirm that the black card even exists. If it exists, as Ed says it does, they're not saying. Rumour has it it was created for the Beckhams because they promoted Nando's unprompted for years. And then, once they'd given the Beckhams a black card, it grew from there. Nando's has always been really quite tight-lipped about the scheme, tight-beaked perhaps, but the chicken company's official website says you've heard rumours about it, a card that magically provides free Nando's for a whole year. Can you be sure it really exists? And so it's feeding the rumour mill. Of course it is. Coming up on Bruce Whitfield's Genius Podcast. He was completely pissed and he got a hold of me, pointed his finger and beer breath in my face and said, soul man, because that's what he called me, you've lost your soul. We need your soul because our soul is disappearing quickly without your soul. What defines genius? A brilliant mind? Unsurpassed ambition? Perhaps Lexus believes it's about something different. Authenticity. This lies in the ability to follow that one thing that drives you, that one true part of who you are. That is the root of genius. And that's the authenticity you experience when you're behind the wheel of a Lexus. It's just one way that Lexus makes luxury personal. Book a test drive at your nearest Lexus dealer and experience amazing. And if you want to see how I experienced amazing with the brand new Lexus RX350 recently, click on the link in the podcast blurb. There are countless stories of risk-taking, sailing close to the wind, near disasters, disappointments and, of course, great successes that there will be in any business as it grows globally over 35 years. But if there is a remarkable tale, it's this one. Most chief executives don't listen to anyone beyond their executive committee. Even then... It's quite hard to tell if executives and CEOs listen to anybody at all. Robbie Brosen, as you can tell by now, is different. He connects with people in a way that makes them feel valued and leads to some fairly astonishing interactions. And one day, Robbie Brosen arrived at the company's central kitchen where chickens were brined and the sauces were made and bottled. And one of his staff, a man called Bruce McEnroy, suggested to him that if he wanted to expand to the United Kingdom, he could do far worse than speak to Dick Enthoven, the founder of the Hollard Insurance Empire. And, of course, as Robbie Brosen and Fernando Duarte were considering globalising the business, Dick Enthoven was as good a bet as any. Remember, the business had only three stores in different parts of Johannesburg. South Africa's future was far from certain and the negotiations around its transition to democracy had only just begun. 
There were three stores up and running, the first in Rosettenville, the original one, the second at Germiston Lakes, and the third at a place called Savoy. Cash was in short supply. The founders were hungry for growth, but they really didn't know at this stage how to go about it. Well, Dick Entoven agreed to meet Robbie Brosen, but only once he'd sampled the food. I think it was a store in Savoy, and I sat down and ate this chicken, and I couldn't believe how absolutely amazing it was, and I gnawing it off the bone, you know. So then I was taken off for another Nando's, which was really nice, in Turpentine. And there was Robbie and there was Fernando. You could see these guys were really, you know, had worked it all out, knew exactly where they wanted to go. That was the first time we met. It was a shape-shifting moment. They hit it off immediately. And again, there was significant alignment on how they saw the world. Plus, there was a huge amount of trust. Those values were so aligned. He might not have put those values out, but they were so aligned. There was no sunlight between us and him and those values. You know, there were values that your grandparents taught you, and, and he, they resonated for him. So, and we had a little document that we put out, and we, we never show our values really in, in the restaurants. Values have got to come through the leadership team, and then the leadership team put it into, into the people of, of the business. And you, and you want to see, in, in, a, in a retail environment, in a restaurant environment, you want to see shiny eyes and smiley faces in a brutal environment, because this really is brutal. That's where the whole culture came in, and that's where the Nandokas came in, and that's where that kind of fun came in. And Dick felt that, I, I guess, in, in the early days, and I think he liked that. And, um, you know, our relationship is 30 probably 32 years and we don't have a written agreement you don't we don't no but this is weird because the other wonderful coincidence about this relationship between the man in the kitchen who says meet my friends the entovens is you then swap numbers of lawyers and you go but that's exactly the same phone number we've got the same family lawyer so the same family lawyer he we phoned them and he said you you know do you know the guy and we said we we know the guy and we phoned said do you know the family he said wonderful family they phoned said wonderful family and and there was an agreement first we got the check and then we got the agreement and another great lesson from dick is that he he wanted 30 percent of the equity he didn't want 51 and control and and when when i questioned him on it he said you know we want to make a lot of money but we want you to make more you know and and that as a as an investor you know that the the operators are going to graft hard. And, and some people get it so wrong where, where they want 80% and 20% for the operator, where the operator's grafting. You know, you're working long nights and hours and the operator must make the money and then the investors come on the back end of that. And I think it's such an important principle that we've tried to pay forward to various other kind of investments that, that we've had as a family. Now, almost anyone I talk to in private equity gets those numbers the other way around. Ask them what they would want as security for their investment and invariably institutions say they'd want 70% and leave the balance on the table to keep the operators interested. The true genius of this arrangement was Dick Enthoven's ability to understand the power of incentive. He flipped the entire idea of funding a startup on its head, sacrificing 70% to the operators and keeping 30% for his family. It was also useful having him around, of course, during tough times. There was a moment in the early days of their UK expansion where they considered selling. When we first met Robbie, Robbie Enthoven, Robbie Enthoven. so when he, when he came in and, and I first met him, he was studying at Varsity and, and he, was, he was stuffing around, he was doing nothing and we were about to sell the UK business because it was not successful. It was doing very badly. There was a guy that was interested in buying the business and Dick and I went to meet the guy. He was a real operator. And he said, look, I think there's massive opportunity and I'm, and I'm prepared to buy the business. And Dick 
left with me and he said, you know, this guy who's a real operator is interested in buying the business. Why are we selling? You know, we shouldn't be selling. Such, Dick has got so many beautiful insights in terms of just hardcore business. And we went back to his house and Robbie was sitting there and we said, well, what are you doing? He said, he's not doing anything in at the moment. So I said, well, look, come and spend a week with me. And let's just see. And that's where we had fun, when Robbie saw fun in a business because we were at our wildest. Remember, no social media at that time. So you could literally be fairly wild. I mean, I'm not proud of our behavior, but it was fun at the time. And we, Robbie thought that, you know, this is, this is a fun way of doing business. And he, he said, look, I'll, I'll give this a go. And he brought in so many innovations that Robbie is a co-founder with us. There's, Nando's would not be where it is without Robbie Enthoven. And so, you know, to say that Nando's is me and Fernando is, is wrong. It's, it's, it's a collection of so many other people that have added their, their beauty and their creativity and their energy and their passion. Nando's is a multifaceted story. It's a story of friendship, that's where it all starts, a, a story of huge trust, a, a story of fun, and ultimately it's a story of people and, of course, chickens and chilies and lemon and garlic, all of that stuff, but people are integral to the success of this business. Brosen no longer runs it. It's in the hands of professional managers. He stepped back in about 2010, exhausted by the rapid global growth of the enterprise, perhaps a little burnt out, but at the time he said... It was time to put the adults in charge. In 2010, we built the business to a particular size and I was feeling very unhappy. I was like really unhappy. I just felt like I'd lost my mojo. We were opening, I think, about a thousandth restaurant, but I didn't even know that it was, I just, I'd lost control. The spirit was there within Nando's, but we weren't maximizing on, on, on the profitability and it was getting a big business at the time. And, but more importantly, I'd lost my own kind of confidence and I'd lost my passion in the business so I sat down with Robbie in his sauna and I just said to him you know this is not working for everybody and Robbie asked a very simple question he said is Nando's a dynastical business do you want your kids to run this business or would you like this to be a family owned but professionally run business and I've never been one to force my kids to come and run the business because I felt it's unfair. I also felt that family owned really does well and that's the Enthoven model you know, with Hollard and, and some of the other investments that, that it's really family owned so there's an ethos of family ownership and also a 50 year and 100 year vision. You know their thinking is 30, 40 years. It's not the next quarter. Dick was all about value. My dad was about cost. And so, you know, when you, when you can think of value and what's the value for the next generation as opposed to the cost today, they're quite difficult. So that, and it was just the right decision to step away. But that's also critical for any founder. At some point, so you critical. must step away. I can talk for hours on this because to me, there's that founder's trap where I didn't quite realize what it meant. You know, your phone stops ringing and, and actually... You know, you get, off the, you get off the golf invitation list, you get off this because the king is dead, long live the king. And, and, and it depends who you hand over to as well in terms of the next, the next leadership. But remember, I'm 50 years old at the time, so there's still a little bit of life left in me. But I felt instinctively that I wasn't the guy to take this business into the, into the future. Just, just from a point of view of process more than anything, you know, from a vision point of view and from a, what needs to be done from a, like keeping people excited and happy and the kind of marketing. Or, I knew I could do that. But you, when you look at it holistically, it's, it's, you, know, you need a proper, a proper You've CEO. got another meeting because one thing that you do do is you connect people and you connect dots. And you're very well known for making 
finding solutions to problems and insurmountable problems. People, the problems that people can't solve, you connect dots, you connect people together. We spent some time today, you took me around a, a, a precinct of startups and of creatives and connecting dots between all sorts of things. And that is really powerful because that became your new mojo. Once you step back, after a little while, you, you spent time with Kingsley Holgate, who's the great explorer, big white beard, taking mosquito nets all over the place. I bumped into you bouncing like Tigger at an airport the one day um, and you expressed a, a very vocal opinion about the state of America and Donald Trump and the world um, and I got the sense that your mojo was very much back and that's yeah. given you a new sense uh, of purpose isn't well, it? Well that, that, when, I, when I stepped out of Nano's it took me about 18 months to actually find my mojo back and I, and I got it back through the CEO of, of the UK business got hold of me one night and he was completely pissed and he got hold of me pointed his finger and yeah beer breath in my face and said soul man because that's what he called me you've lost your soul we need your soul because our soul is, is disappearing quickly without your soul and that's when I went back and I realized that you know I need to reinvent myself and, and I poured myself into malaria and in that goodbye malaria journey with Kingsley and, and with everything I found my soul again and I found my mojo and I found that to solve social problems you can do them in a very different way People are trying to solve it through NGOs and trying to solve it through traditional ways. And we've come up with a very different model of public-private partnerships. But it's not just a traditional public-private partnership model where you're just relying on government. You've actually got to be implementing. You've got to be part of the implementing team. You've got to have the right people implementing and then government just follow you or the, all the other partners follow. And so, but I got my mojo back there properly. And then coming back into the Nando's world, you know, where I'm standing today, I've never been happier. I've never been more purposeful. I know I'm making an impact on changing lives. I know I'm in a, in a situation where in South Africa, the negativity that's flowing through, I am so positive about the potential of this country. I'm positive because things are so broken, but what's not broken are the people and the spirit of the people. And we need to lift people's spirits. And when you do that, people are going to soar and we're going to fix those walls but when your spirits are broken like in a lot of countries around the world to fix the spirits properly we've still got spirit in south africa so where to from here well there are growth opportunities in most of the markets in which it finds itself the focus for now is on texas houston texas to be precise and there's a big part of the world that doesn't yet know a thing about nando's the whole of europe for example large swathes of latin america and in that perhaps just lies a new growth opportunity. Bruce Whitfield's Genius Podcast is proudly brought to you by Lexus. Full episodes now available for download on your favorite podcast app. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Another will drop in a week's time. Remember, you can see me experience amazing in the brand new Lexus RX350 by clicking on the link in the blurb of this episode. Go on. You know you want to.